Welcome to the No Film School podcast. This is Gigi Hawkins, uh, fresh off of Sundance and reflecting on the cinematographer roundtable that we had, one of two, and I'm excited to share with you. Now, we had four very different cinematographers from four very different films, but they had a lot in common and a lot to unpack at the festival. The first is Nate Hertzellers, cinematographer for the mockumentary film Theater Camp direct from directors Molly Gordon and Nick Lieberman. The second is Dan Adlerstein, cinematographer for the horror comedy Onyx the Fortuitous and the Talisman of Souls. We also had Scott Miller, the cinematographer for A Little Prayer, written and directed by Angus McLaughlin, a film that is a deeply personal and humorous tale that explores complex family dynamics and the inner workings of Southern towns. And finally, we had Zach Cooperstein, cinematographer for a short featured in the Midnight Shorts block called Power Signal, a bizarro dark comedy about a delivery guy uncovering aliens in New York City. But you've also probably seen his work in films like Barbarian and The Climb. In this conversation, we talk about everything from booking the job to problem solving on set and collaborating with directors, lighting for improv when there is no script, and coming up as a DP and building community over the course of many years. We also talk about how you need to protect your energy for the stories you love and the storytellers you love, and also finding the silver lining in the less than ideal projects. So let's dig in. Welcome, guys. This is the, I want to call it the annual DP roundtable, even though we didn't do it the last two years, but it's kind of a tradition here at the No Film School podcast to get a bunch of cinematographers in the room talking about the films that they've made. So first, uh, let's go around and please introduce yourself, your film that's here at Sundance, and give us a quick overview of what the film is about, because most of our listeners will not have seen it yet because they won't be out in the world. And we'll start with you. Uh, sure. Uh, my name is Zach Cooperstein. I'm a, a DP as well. Uh, sorry, I'm going to start over. That's, go uh, turn, go uh, of course, I'm a DP. That's what we're all here for. Uh, man, uh, my name is Zach Cooperstein. I shot a film called uh, Power Signal, um, and it's uh, it's about a bike messenger who uncovers some aliens at night in New York. My name is Scott Miller. I'm a DP of A Little Prayer, and it's a movie about multi-generational family, um, kind of all living under one roof and how they navigate their love for each other. Uh, my name is Dan Adlerstein. My movie is very different from that. Uh, it's called Onyx the Fortuitous and the Talisman of Souls. And it's about a guy who, kind of a fish out of water story about a guy who goes to a satanic retreat and uh, hijinks ensues. Uh, I'm Nate Hertzellers, and I'm the DP of Theater Camp. Theater Camp's a, doc, or a mockumentary in the dramatic competition. It's about a struggling drama theater camp in upstate New York and the kind of different wild personalities that are trying to keep it afloat. I feel like I have a connection to all of these films because I've lived in New York. I have multi-generational family drama. I didn't join a satanic cult. <laughs> Uh, but I did go to theater camp. So, <laughs> Stage Door or? Um... Uh, no, but I have heard of Stage Door Manor, okay. which is where all the people who created theater camp went, right? Yeah, or at least many. I, I know Molly did for sure. I, I mean, that it's all part of the sort of theater kid culture, Stage Door and um, 
French woods are the two sort of upstate New York. It feels, I mean, it, it feels like being on set is in a way theater camp. There's a lot of summer camp vibes. So I think we can all um, connect with that. Uh, so I'm curious how each of you booked this job, how you came to uh, be attached to the project. And we'll go in the opposite order. So we can start with you, Nate. Okay. Um, yeah, it came, uh, the script came to me through my agent. It was... Um, you did use quotes with script. I did, yeah. You can't see that. But <laughs> the script was... Um, many scenes were scripted, but it was also... The intention was for it to be heavily improvised. Um, so it was sort of a guideline. I mean, there, there, there was like a, a really strong story arc and some pivotal dialogue that was fleshed out. But but a lot of it, it was, you know, it was like 40, 50 pages. A lot of it was sort of, you know, montage of this or like setting up of that. So it was a, a little bit different from um, from what you would normally think of as a script. But um, um, but it was very clear that it was uh, really well conceived from a story standpoint, which kind of made me a lot more um, confident going into something like that. But I um, I talked to Nick and Molly through Zoom. I was on a job in in new orleans and they were somewhere in la and we just had like a quick zoom session and uh and uh hit it off and like i think we sort of both wanted we all wanted to approach it in a very similar way a very um true to doc style mm -hmm. and i come I, I have done a lot of documentaries so i think that that my experience in that could come and cool yeah. now dan yeah onyx feels like almost the opposite of doc in terms of uh a visual style. How did how did you end up booking the job? Uh, so I've worked with the director uh, Andrew Bowser for like a lot of years now. We started shooting um, kind of sketches and branded content for I think the first one was for Funny or Die, and that was actually a horror comedy thing. Yeah, just a lot of content together over the years, and then kind of grew a working relationship, and then we shot a short film together, which was like our first narrative thing uh, a couple of years ago, and then we always kind of knew that he was working on this script for years and this character has been around. So it was always kind of in the ether that once it happens, you know, and it was once it wasn't if, but yeah, well, yeah. once it happens, you know, that we'd work on it together. So, um, it was really, uh, I love working with him. He's like such a great collaborator and good friend. What was the moment where you're like, okay, this is happening. This uh, is actually happening. So he actually, um, did a Kickstarter. His, mm -hmm. his, the character, the main character in the movie is kind of, internet famous you might have seen him as like weird satanist guy or weird arby's guy so these viral videos and he has a following so he actually did a kickstarter that just wound up being like insanely successful like i think they raised like 600 or 700 thousand dollars yeah and then but then the movie needed more money so once the kickstarter made all that money we were like this is happening and then it still needed to find more financing and stuff but at that point it became real yeah like we're doing this and how about like a prayer uh yeah a little prayer a little prayer uh, a little prayer I, a little but prayer. I like like a prayer too, <laughs> still uh a little prayer it was i would say maybe six months before i had gotten a email from a producer who i came to know on the film the director had little oh yeah uh, probably about six months before i had gotten an email from the producer uh who i didn't know um lauren vilchik and uh the director angus mclaughlin he had reached out to another cinematographer, Tim Orr. And Tim, I was a gaffer for like maybe 15, you know, some years ago, let's <laughs> say. Um, and uh, it takes, it, we filmed it in North Carolina and I feel like there's a very 
kind of close community down there. And Tim passed the director my name, and we started to chat on Zoom for a little bit over the course of a month, and seemed, things seemed to be kind of working out just kind of in good faith, getting to know each other. And that's how it happened. You can ask Wait, did you, question. did you, so you, you gaffed for Tim Moore. So mm-hmm. did you work for like David Gordon Green on? What? So yeah, that, actually it was the last time that I had been in North Carolina, which was that many years ago, was for All the Real Girls with yeah. Tim Moore, uh, David Gordon Green's film. Uh, so yeah, that was, it's like a very long connection. And I've kind of kept in touch with Tim over the years, but and he's on the West Coast. And, okay, very cool. Wait, for a non-DP person, who is this person? Well, David Gordon Green's a director of uh what what has he done recently um he's been doing some, he's like, been doing some weird Halloween, well, the Halloween movies are very right? cool. uh, um but he did pineapple uh, express yeah pineapple yeah. express was sort of his his um you know more studio box picture, yeah, studio. Yeah. but his like early films like george washington george washington is literally the so incredible just we we have people putting Sorry. hands to their Sorry. hearts, hearts with George how Washington. incredible this film is. <laughs> yeah. So just so you can get a visual. Sounds amazing. Sorry to yeah. say yeah. Yeah. No, you I, I really want to see that. We have to watch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And how about you? How how did you get attached to power signals? Um, so the producer and I had worked together uh, a few years earlier on the climb, which was here at Sundance in 2020 as well. Um, and uh, he and I were sort of trying to find another project to work on together. Uh, and it was freezing cold January about a year ago and nothing was going on. And Jordan hit me up and was like, Hey, do you want to do this ridiculous short film? Like out in the, in the cold at night and uh, make it happen with no money. And I was like, not really. <laughs> that doesn't sound fun at all. And then he kind of begged me to do it. And he told me about Oscar and I was like, okay, Oscar sounds awesome. And, uh, and I talked with Oscar a little bit and I think a uh, similar situation. I think he had talked to another DP, uh, Sean Price Williams about doing it. Cause Oscar produced good time. And, um, uh, Uncut Gems as well. Mm-hmm. So he had worked with the Safety brothers and kind of knew Sean uh, through that stuff. And it seemed like that was going to happen, but I guess Sean was unavailable and was going to go do something else. So um, I was kind of excited that he was interested in talking to me because I look up to Sean a lot. So I was like, great, uh, let's do it. And uh, we kind of got together a really scrappy crew and not a lot of equipment and uh, made these night exteriors in New York in the freezing cold work. And and they look awesome. They look beautiful. <laughs> yeah, mostly natural light. You know, there's so much light in New York just at night. Uh, but, you know, placing little tubes and stuff around and adding where we could. Nice. And all all of these things were shot over COVID times. And because you're, you're, you're talking about meeting on Zoom. Yes. Well, is it still COVID time? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess we're still in it. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, definitely like masks and protocols and people not showing up to set and then you finding out through the rumor chain that they're uh that they've been told to stay home today mm. like that. were there any covid shutdowns um yeah like the the day we were doing our camera checkout uh the lead actor showed up um and i was in the production office and he like came to the door and had his like arm over his face and was just like hey oscar can we like talk outside uh and then they like disappeared and i was like oh that's it we're done oh. uh so <laughs> then oscar came back in he was really upset i was like all right well it sounds like we're we're pushing and i had to call the acs and they were at the rental house right next door and i was like guys we're gonna <laughs> like pack it up <laughs> we're oh. done uh and we had to rehire crew and everything for like two weeks later and uh luckily it kind of you know came together in, in enough time but yeah lost a lot of money to that i'm sure yeah. we we had a, we had some covid work too definitely it was um somewhere about halfway through the film one of our i guess cast members had to had to step out for a while and and the ad had to reorganize the whole 
shoot. It was like, and, and there was just no, like on something of this budget, there's no room to, there's no room to shut down. I mean, maybe you lose a day or something um, and try to make it up. Uh, and crew too, uh, like a, I, I had a department head that thought was going to be there, but then came in around a little over halfway into the shoot. Mm. Oh. <laughs> but we, we kept going and figured it out and somehow just hoped every morning with the rapid test sitting 10 feet away from each other on a parking lot that I wouldn't, <laughs> that, that we wouldn't test positive. So let's talk about the, the tech challenges that you had. Were there any new tech challenges with these particular films that you experienced? And then we'll get a little bit more into like the visual language and how you developed that. But we really like to get into the nitty gritty of, you know, what you're shooting with, how you're doing it, how you're pulling it off. Yeah, lots of lots of technical. Also, challenges. feel free to chime in and jump okay. in on okay. each other. This is a conversation. <laughs> Though we yes. do like the circle method. Yeah, we are yeah, here yeah, sitting in a true. circle. It feels like <laughs> a satanic cult. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, shooting uh, all these overnights with no money was was tough. Um, just for for lighting reasons, mostly we had very little control of the environment. Um, it was kind of about finding locations that worked for us, blocking it in ways that worked for us, and then uh, using just a couple of LEDs here and there to add to things. The uh, the camera we shot on was the FX9, which we got for free and got some lenses for free and everything was like, this is what we have. So this is what we're shooting with. There was also this, because uh, our main character is a bike messenger, We uh, Oscar really wanted to do a lot of following him and moving with him through uh, through the city, going over bridges and the bike lanes. And I was like, well, how are we going to shoot him biking at night and make that work? The FX9 was great for, for the high ISO, but we... Uh, kind of borrowed a friend's uh, electric bike with a cart on it that he was using for moving gear around. And then we rigged to the back of it um, a black arm with a Ronin 2. And then uh, I sat in the cart with the wheels to operate it. And then the key grip drove the bike. And then the director and the AC were on the on a moped leading us. And the, so the director didn't see the monitor at all. He was just kind of like, I hope it works. And we were trying to you know tell him what was happening. And then the, uh, the AC was kind of sitting on the back pulling focus from his little monitor. And then the actor was behind. So it was sort of this train that we had going. And luckily, there wasn't too much bike traffic at negative 10 degrees in the middle of the night in January. But, but yeah, we were able to kind of go over the bridge and, and hit all the bike lanes uh, with that. So we shot so much of that footage. And I'm really happy with the way it looked. It just uh, not a lot of it made it into the cut. <laughs> it's, it's a short. So <laughs> have you named that? that set up like it, i feel like it needs to be labeled no I don't, I, we didn't but we should have <laughs> so it's like yeah. one of those like amazon delivery platforms yeah, on the back exactly yeah. yeah that kind yeah. of thing yeah. that's a smart a good rig <laughs> smart move yeah permits and stuff yeah uh permits well actually so yeah we we didn't have permits for a lot of the the bike lane stuff but i insisted that if we're going to do something in the road that we had some kind of like you know police escort or something because i just yeah. didn't want to be biking on avenues with without that so uh so we did actually get uh get the cops to kind of lead us around in midtown um so we were able to go up uh up sixth ave and down seventh ave um in the middle of the street and that was really cool to get get that wow. kind of stuff come through Times square and like get all that that's but none of that's in the movie but it's okay <laughs> it'll be in the feature version it's fine yeah, <laughs> yeah. sure our, our technical challenges but I, I i think like one of the interesting things for me that i mean it was great to have a long chat uh prior just the amount of prep work on the ground was very short for me on this one we we just had a few days really and the locations were the director lives in the town that we shot um and had found all the locations before i arrived and uh some of them were really 
they were perfect, I think, for the environment, for the actors and on a technical side uh, <laughs> to be filming in like a family house that that seems like the kitchen's really kind of in the third story window almost. Just the way the slope of the ground was definitely presented like some challenges about a very nimble crew to try to to try to tackle it. <clears throat> yeah, our biggest challenge was there was a um, very much an ensemble movie um so there are a lot of scenes with five people there's some with six seven and we could only they're always trade-offs we could and we could only really afford one camera for the whole thing so it was challenging to you know when you have these big you know five six page scenes with six people it could be really challenging to just kind of cover that with a single camera so that was a big challenge i think it i think it wound up being a blessing in disguise because so many times when you use a second camera you know, sometimes you're just fitting it in because you have it, you know, it's like, oh, we might as well get this shot. Oftentimes, then it also makes you use longer lenses. Um, so you're not seeing each other. And then you also have to oftentimes compromise lighting because you're lighting for two different angles. I mean, ideally, when you're using two cameras, I find like it's best if you could have them right next to each other and one's wider and one's tighter. Mm -hmm. But, you know, inevitably, you'll have to like cross shoot and then the lighting is worse and all that. So I think Evan, Having a single camera meant like every shot was like fully intentional and not compromised. And we wound up using a lot of like wide lens close ups with the camera like right near them, which we probably couldn't have done if we were trying to fit in a second camera. Was it anamorphic? It was anamorphic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the widescreen aspect ratio can sometimes also make, you know. Was it Primo? Okay. No, we shot with Atlas uh, oh. anamorphics. Yeah. Yeah. That was our biggest challenge, but I think it wound up being a blessing in disguise. Well, just to follow up. His answer. So we uh, had two cameras all the time um, and sometimes three and cross shot everything. <laughs> and oh so compromised gosh. lighting. Yeah. Uh, Were you operating one of the cameras? I was operating A and then uh, a buddy of mine, Emmett, who was actually, he had gaffed for me and um, uh, he had been a best boy on a show I was doing and gaffed. And then I had this movie coming up and I was like, hey, you want to come be an operator? Would you, would you join 600 if you can... Uh, <laughs> if I can, if I tell them I want you on this movie and he came and he was amazing because he's really a filmmaker. And so he's, mm -hmm. he, he's like always, you know, he was very good at being able to run off and shoot things, you know, B-roll or anything that we might need. But yeah, everything was cross shot. Um, so a lot of, a lot of just lighting the space or letting the practicals work, but, but it's supposed to look real. It's supposed to feel grounded to kind of worked for the aesthetic. I think if we had lit things more, we would ever, never have finished the movie. But um, <laughs> we also, uh, it just would have, you know, been felt very different. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. And we also, uh, format wise, we shot 16 millimeter mode, mm -hmm. which is, I mean, it's not, it's not new because it's been around since the early like Amira's, but I love it. I use it often. Uh, it's the way to go. <laughs> just to, uh, yeah, just to, just to pick up something on you said that might be educational, maybe, I don't know, um, is that it's, I find like, uh, you know, oftentimes we'll all shoot things with two cameras and I have to operate one camera. And it's like what you were saying, it's so important to have a B camera operator that you like just trust implicitly because you can't be like worried about their framing and mm -hmm. they're getting the right moment. You just have to like trust them. So yeah, you have to like know that they're I, not even just like aesthetically is actually secondary. You have to know that they like understand what's important beat wise. It's like I can be like, oh, did you get the thing where the yeah, okay, cool, <laughs> you got it. Okay. Um, yeah, because you can make a pretty frame, but uh, it might not be the right one. When it comes to finding your your B operator, how have you have you guys just brought people on who you've worked with in the past, or how do you know that they are able to pick up on 
the beats that you're talking about. Well, like Emmett had been had had done gaffing for me, and I remember when he's he was stepping in to fill in for um, Danny April, who had to like leave a show early to go do a different one. So he started to do it, and I was just like, oh, he's smart. He gets it. He's got great ideas. He he's you know you just sort of like get a sense of if if you and somebody see movies the same way or stories yeah, the same way. Yeah. So, um, That's actually a perfect segue to what. I want to talk about next, which is the collaboration with the director. How did that work? And also how did you all develop the visual style of your films? Why don't we start with Onyx? Okay. Onyx is very much like a throwback to 80s horror movies, creature features, you know, things like Ghostbusters and Gremlins and Fright Night and Monster Squad. So um, Andrew just gave me like a whole list of like 15 movies just to watch with like a couple sentences of why they're relevant. So he's like this. He knows all of these movies like they're just like in his soul. He lives in these movies. So he does this. He knows them so well. So I had to kind of like get into that headspace. And it was interesting. Like we wound up uh, wanting to we didn't want to make the movie look like an 80s movie like like when those movies came out to those audiences, they were looked like modern movies. So we're like, let's make a modern looking movie with like modern sensibilities and aesthetics, but like feels kind of like those movies. So there were some scenes that were like direct references to certain movies. There's a big scene that's like directly shot for shot pulled from Reanimator. Uh-huh. If anybody knows that movie, um, but mostly it was just like a feel and a vibe. So we just kind of got on the same page with that. And, you know, we we planned the shots somewhat, but it also it was we left a lot of room for kind of inspiration on the day. So we're just kind of like feeling that vibe and living that world to know what these movies feel like. And then just kind of just trying to embrace that. And yeah, you definitely nailed that aesthetic, the 80s aesthetic, but it doesn't but it feels fresh and it mm. feels like it the the shots are supporting the story yeah. in a way that I think sometimes if you're just modeling something that is was made in the 80s it feels trapped if that mm. makes sense mm-hmm. you, you you did it you did it thank <laughs> you thank you I appreciate it Angus the director and I uh was he really I talked a lot about the story at first and was it, he he also wrote the film and um just really talked about the characters and and I think how this family is it really centers around a family? How it how it exists in a world? And I and then he he gave me a lot of movies that he liked. Different photographers. There's also kind of a reference to some a painter and and kind of the Hudson River School. So any anything he would give me or a director, I'll just absorb, 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 and hopefully we didn't get very specific. Certainly uh, in our early prep, which is I mean via Zoom, really not too much when we were maybe a. Uh, a week out on the ground. And I think we started to really hone in on the style by just being on some of the locations and and, and taking uh, still photographs mm-hmm. and looking at them. And and we kind of went from there. Um, I'm having a tough time remembering some of the references that, that <laughs> Oscar pulled, but I, for some reason, uh, Bringing Out the Dead was one that stuck with me, um, which uh, I think is such a weird movie, but uh, something that Oscar really was drawn to in that movie is there are, there's a lot of hard light and it's it feels like totally unmotivated and kind of alien in nature in, in that movie. And because there are aliens in our movie and light 
coming out of people is sort of a big theme in it. Um, the uh, that was something that that made sense to me. I'm like, okay, I could stick with that, and it would. So it played not just for the the light beings and and the aliens, the, the alien himself, but the uh, there were a couple of moments where it was like, oh, we're going to have a hard light uh, at, that feels maybe not part of the streetlight world um, that our characters are kind of living in. So there's a bit of that. But in terms of the the process, um, I kind of applied the same process to Power Signal as I do with every film, which is in, an intense amount of prep and being as prepared as possible with uh, shot list, detailed shot list, floor plans, and and uh, photo boards, um, and trying to just know exactly where the camera is going to be, where what lens we're going to be on, where the actors are going to be, and going into it with that kind of prep allows for a certain amount of improvisation. Because then, if if somebody decides they want to do something different, or the light looks a little different one way or another, or just the move isn't quite working. Um, you know why you got there, you know why we wanted the shot to be the way it's going to be, and then we can adapt accordingly. Um, I also found that with the crazy cold and long overnights, it was super helpful to just have a clear plan because we were we would easily lose track of things. And especially on our last night, I remember we just had a lot to shoot, not a lot of time left. And uh, it was just like, I was just kind of like calling the shots and just being like, okay, we got to put the camera here. The actors stand there. Let's go. Like, we got to get this stuff done before the sun comes up, you know? Um, and I, you know, hate to kind of do that because it like overrules a lot of the the process and everybody else's jobs. But it, I think Oscar appreciated it because it was like, we needed to get it done. So having done the prep and making sure that he and I were on the same page about that made it like, oh, we're, we're getting his vision. We're getting the thing that we want out of it, but I could just kind of like make it happen. So Right. And there's trust there, like that you clearly built rapport in a relationship with Oscar and he knew both with this and also with, with your bike setup, where he's like, "Well, hope you guys are seeing it, right?" Yeah, that's ac- awesome. And actually, I've, of course, the biking was a huge part of it. So I, I worked as a bike messenger oh. for for about oh. a year in New York ages ago. I, if you've heard of Insomnia Cookies, I delivered cookies oh. late at night for them. Oh, yes, <laughs> many really late nights in college yeah, were supported uh, by Insomnia. Exactly, <laughs> and I think Oscar also worked as a, as a bike messenger at some point, and uh, he and I both love biking around the city. So that was a huge influence on us, and and biking late at night and and in the cold and at all all hours. So I think he was really happy when I showed up to our first meeting, and it was like pouring rain and almost freezing. And I, I biked there and it was like, you know, uh, a kindred spirit in that way. Yeah. This guy can hang. I have a specific question about the lighting in the film. So there is an alien element to it and, uh, an alien bike messenger who, uh, has light that is coming out of his helmet. And I assume that was done in post. It wasn't. What? <laughs> uh, well, partially, yeah. I mean, the uh, yeah, we actually wired up LEDs inside the the visor, uh, and also his hand glows at a certain point. So mm-hmm. we made like an LED glove for him, but it could only be on one side because we were shooting the top of the hand. And the VFX uh, supervisor Perry Kroll, he was like really want to see the skin texture to make the most out of it, but there has to be light emanating from the hand. So we kind of rubber banded this like yoga mat thing with um with leds on it to the bottom side of his hand or to his palm to make it uh kind of glow as he moved his hand around and then the uh the other thing that oscar was really excited about and i forgot about this too he uh he saw this music video that where somebody used uh reflective uh, i don't know what it's called it's like high vis material mm-hmm. that you see on like reflective vests and stuff yeah that's that's what's called scotch light uh somebody had made like a full body suit out of that stuff and then went out into the woods and like they shot it with um 
it's like a single light on the camera, basically, like as close to the lens as possible because the the material bounces the light only in one direction back to where the light's coming from. And then, uh, and it's just like this weird light being in the woods kind of glowing. So that was a huge influence. And we're like, can we do that with this alien bike messenger? So uh, we tried that. We made like a mask for him out of the high vis and put that under the visor. So when it raised, uh, it was lifted up, you can, his face is glowing. He's just made of light. It didn't quite work that well because the, the, we were shooting with, at such a high ISO and any light that we had on the camera would kind of just blow up everything. And the material was also a little bit uh, ripply in a way that wasn't perfect, but having the lights inside the visor and frosting the visor was kind of key to getting it to glow when he had the visor down and he couldn't see where he was going. So he, no. we had to like have very simple blocking for him. There's like a moment where he drops the, uh, the jar. And I think we just worked that into it because he couldn't see where he was going. And, uh, yeah, I think that was the, <laughs> the thing there. So well, lots of figuring out. To it, do looks, there. it looks, I was going to, my question was like, how would you, how did you light it to make it work so well in post, but it, you did it practically. So that's, and, and then I guess when he lifts the visor, because the, the material wasn't working that well, that's all done in post. And we added, uh, um, a light near where he was to shine onto the other actor to make it feel like it's coming out of it. And we did a couple of composite layers for mm -hmm. that. So, well, it looks very, very <laughs> alien. Yeah, it was very alien. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about theater camp, Nate. Yeah, um, I guess like the the we we were pretty um, homed homed is it with an M right. And I think it's an M. Homed or honed? Home. I think it's. I. I what are, what are your, what's the sentence you're about? Homed in. Homed in. Homed in. It's an N. Is it an N? Oh yeah. But I like homed in too because it's like you feel comfortable, which you need for a docu style. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. No. So we were really. Uh, we 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 pretty much knew the aesthetic we were going from for from the beginning conversation. Just mm -hmm. the kind of movies they were referencing that I had been part of the like conversation was around a lookbook that they had made, which is like pulled from um, a lot of the sort of like documentaries that most people know, like Jesus camp and, mm -hmm. and um, things like that, which are very doc um, kind of what you think about when you think about doc. Um, so we, yeah, we were always sort of chasing that sort of lo-fi aesthetic. Um, and the, the, but we were really, I mean, kind of like Zach, I mean, as much as we could, we were actually very, very prepared prepared to make a very unprepared seeming movie. Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, the production office was on the site of, a, of an abandoned camp, which was our location. And we shot there 19 out of 20 days. So we were there for all of prep and we would, you know, just be able to shot list in different rooms. They weren't dressed, but we'd be able to go to the room and, and kind of with Artemis and like Artemis video or Artemis frames go through um, exactly kind of the, the shots we were going to do. I mean, obviously we would, it would like change a lot on the day. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but not, not always. And, and, uh, I mean, we really helped being super, super dialed in for us to then, you know, shake it all up and make it, make it crazy. So I'm seeing the film today. Uh -huh. I assume there is a climactic dramatic scene. There, I, I hope so. Yes. No, I hope it's a dramatic competition. So let's hope it it's dramatic. <laughs> um, when you were crafting that particular scene, how did you find the balance of maintaining the doc aesthetic, but capturing what you needed from an emotional standpoint? Yeah, I mean that's that was that's a great question. It was a uh, something we thought about. I, I, I and because you the doc was inherently objective, 
um, or the style is often like long lenses far away through something like looking around a corner. And so there's often times where you actually like the camera needs to be close. It needs to feel intimate. But we would look at films and like uh, War Room. I remember I watched it for this movie. And I was just stunned at how close the camera is to Bill Clinton at times. Mm -hmm. And he's like having a normal conversation, like like completely oblivious to the camera seemingly. And so I think we were like, okay, it, it, it exists. These people, you get used to having a camera around you. So we would allow ourselves to sort of have this really like close angle vantage point for, mm-hmm. for scenes like that. I mean, not always. Sometimes it was effective to be far away, but yeah. I mean, there's like one scene in particular where we're like, you know, right on the eye line and right, you know, it's very, very normal coverage yeah. as far as a movie goes. Um, but, but you, you ease the audience into Yeah, it. and it's forgiven because it's sort of like within a world that is otherwise very, um, very dark. Now with a, a Scott and a mm-hmm. little prayer, I assume there's also a, a <laughs> climactic, dramatic moment or a few, it, it's a drama. Can you speak about how you crafted that to create an emotionally resonant feeling and you can pick you can pick a, a scene but I'm curious to hear how you how you approach that yeah I, I think it's like I think one of the things we we kind of looked at in over the course of the film too as we planned it out was I was looking at it in the the length of the script and uh, as if just oh yeah to see where I'm sorry we uh, we looked at kind of like the, the length the narrative of the script and see where where those moments would be and where the film would maybe need to breathe and where it could be a little bit more intimate and then taking all our, our floor plans and notes down to be to be when to be kind of close to the actors it's often many of what the 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 director wanted to do was really have kind of longer takes which is great with not so much camera movement i think one of the scenes that we did and it's maybe somewhere midway through the film so not not toward the not the not the finish, let's say, was we were filming in a very small doctor's office, and we decided to, it was kind of a pivotal point for one of the characters at, at at the time, and we wanted to stay very close to them, and we wanted to go on their whole journey. So one of the things that came in, and it, it came through one of his references, it was really to see three hundred sixty degrees in the room. So we would see like the actor as they kind of come into the scene, what they're processing, how they kind of. Um, and the only way to do it in our set was really to, well, it wasn't the only way to do it, but the way we decided to do it was there was no room in the, in the set for, for anything, but the camera on the dolly and the two talent and myself. So it was trying to figure out a way to kind of keep one hand on the dolly and one hand on the tripod. And I was operating at the time, um, and really hoping for the, the best in the, in just to try to get an early take. Uh, he didn't want to, uh, our director was very happy usually with the first or second take of a, so it was really just practicing, making sure we had everything ready uh, for when the moment arrived and hopefully it did. And we created that space in the room. Now, Dan mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Zach, Onyx has a couple of wild characters, a lot of wild characters. Mm-hmm. There's a very wild character in Power Signal yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. And and how, so how, when you were working with the, your directors on figuring out how to present and capture these larger than life characters and keep them in a way that makes sense for the world, um, what was that conversation like and how did you approach that? 
You first. <laughs> oh no! All right, sure. I'll talk. Right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No worries. Uh, the so yeah, there's this this character that our our main character runs into, who uh, he's delivering this uh, sushi to, um, and it's played by Will Brill, who I'd worked with before on The Eyes of My Mother, and uh, in in prep, Oscar. I can't remember if he was still casting or uh, if, if I recommended Will or something like that, but I was like, Will is awesome. He's going to be perfect for this role. And, and he totally like brought it to another level. And I guess to, to accommodate working with him wasn't uh, anything special because he's so talented at just bringing it regardless of what the blocking is. Yeah. And there was some complicated blocking around uh, his sequences. And it was kind of a long scene that we weren't able to really break up. There's just a lot happening that all happens in one sequence. So I remember we went to the location and kind of choreographed it and and then showed that to to Will and Babs uh, when we got to shooting it. And they just totally embraced it and um, it was kind of easygoing. But then Will with his, I don't know, he just took it to the next level and and his energy shone through. So Yeah, I mean, our movie, there's kind of no characters who are like quote unquote normal pretty much every character is kind of larger than life and maybe there's one mac who's who's relatively normal but (laughs) but everybody is just it's kind of like everybody is unique enough that you didn't really have to treat them differently in a way the one character onyx who's the main character he's the one person that we would and you're really you're really mostly experiencing the film like subjectively through him there's some scenes that he's not in but for every scene he's in we would yeah, we would kind of treat a lot of the characters similarly, but then there was always like what you call like the onyx angle. Mm-hmm. And he always got like one shot for the whole scene that was different than anybody else's shot and kind of like put you in his headspace. So we focused a lot kind of on that. And then otherwise it was kind of just like as the scene, like what people are feeling in the scene, you know, um, we played a lot with camera height. Mm-hmm. We almost very rarely had the camera at eye level. It was always like below and or or above and kind of depending on like the power dynamics at that moment and just how people are feeling. So I'd say Onyx is kind of the only character that like really got his like own treatment for, mm. for him. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense because it's his movie. Yeah. Now, ha- again, haven't seen theater camp yet, but went to theater camp. And I <laughs> feel like you also probably had the challenge of capturing a big personality on camera, a character yeah. that was larger than life. Yeah, although the, those people do really exist. Um, I know. Apparently, yeah. yeah. Um, they're just called theater kids. People theater kids. kids. Yeah, 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 theater kids. We, we've all met them. I, I was minorly a theater kid, oh, um, okay. but never, never to this scale. Is anyone else a theater kid here? I was, but similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Just on tech. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that that was the, the whole, you know, doing this comedy as a mockumentary and more documentary than mockumentary. I would actually joke to them. I, I do a lot of docs and I would joke to Nick and Molly, the directors, that this was the most documentary movie I've ever shot. Uh-huh. Even though I've shot actual documentaries. Yeah, yeah it was really, um, we really tried to like pull back and be restrained and make it real to 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 like offset the big personalities of um, of 
the theater kids. Of naturally theater kids in their element. In their, yeah. I'm so glad you said that because I was kind of curious having seen, I saw a short docu shot ages ago that was, I think you shot it on anamorphic and the lighting was stunning. And I was like, <laughs> what, like how, how did you achieve that in a documentary? And I remember when we worked together a long time ago, I was so impressed with your control of light. And I'm just kind of curious how how that evolved since that short ages ago into through your other doc work and then into into this where it sounds like it was almost a rejection of that. Um, yeah. How does that? How did that? Feel? Yeah. No. I mean, a lot of my doc work. I've worked with um, Lance Oppenheim, who had a movie here a couple of years ago. I didn't do it. Some kind of heaven, which was mm-hmm. um, did pretty well. It's great, beautiful movie, shot by David Bolin, um, who's a great guy. If, Anybody has, knows him, um, but uh, that's a doc. That that's is. a doc. Some kind of happened by uh, Lance Oppenheim, which uh, some frames of that were in the lookbook that I had, um, received. And I was actually on a commercial with the Lance at the time that I was interviewing for this job. So I was like, oh, Lance is in the other room. Like, uh, I think that helped me get the job. But, you know, his stuff is very stylized. And, and often a lot of the doc stuff I've done is either... Yeah, pretty pretty intentional. A lot of steady cam, a lot of lighting, or like pulling away light so that like the one light shines through. So this was a complete rejection of all of that. But uh, yeah, because everything was pretty much everything's handheld um, and lit. Like like just turn on the overhead lights, or we put a lot of Titan tubes in the ceiling, and that just sort of there's a lot of fluorescent spaces. Thank thank God, because we were able to just sort of just swap everything to Titans, and then that was it. You know, just balance it out to the windows. Um, but yeah, it was very different. I don't, I, it doesn't look that like that feel any. for you though. Like shooting, it, is it like mess with your brain a little bit and, and your eye? Or are you like, what? yeah, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's honestly, it was a lot of fun. It was freeing to sort of like not light as much. Cause I came up, I mean, Zach and I actually know each other from, uh, way, way back. Uh, at, at, we went to school together. DP like, camp. DP, uh, DP camp. Yeah. It was yeah. Basically <laughs> New York electric running around on the, the dirty streets of New York. But, uh, I was very much, I am, I come from the world of lighting. So it was, it was weird to totally, uh, totally been, but I think, and you're a gaffer as well, yeah. or what were, I think that being, having come from lighting helped. I mean, I think if I didn't know anything about lighting, it would have been maybe harder to not light, I think in a way that looked okay. Yeah. No, I think it's like, I, I don't know if you've, if you've felt it, but it's like, and then the, there's a certain, like having been a gaffer, there's a certain letting go that I, that like, I don't know what happens. Like when I started to shoot, I thought I would be so particular and I was, and then hopefully, you know, you have a great crew working with you that takes mm-hmm. over that. But even, even with it, it's, it's kind of like, oh, but I can also change the camera a little bit, yeah. or I know I could actually keep the light that no, 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 don't move it. That would take like a half an hour. We can <laughs> yeah. just. We can just kind of look this way yeah. a little. And really, I promise it's just as good. Where I was like, remember trying to be a gaffer. And if a DP said that, I was like, no, we can do it. Don't, mm-hmm. no problem. But seeing what the other side is and then letting go a little bit really yeah. is. And, it's, and it's a great joy. Yeah. Well, just giving more, putting more emphasis on camera language and placement yeah. and stuff. It's like, yeah. Um, yeah, that's probably more important than light. <laughs> okay well as we wrap it up what advice do you have for emerging filmmakers or people who want to follow in your footsteps as cinematographers well just to follow what these guys are just saying you know i think nowadays it's it used to be like you would climb up the ranks and you would be in different departments and now it seems especially with it's kind of cheap to get like really nice cameras and a lot of people just kind of like make the jump to dp 
And that's cool. And that's awesome. And I wouldn't want to discourage that. But there is so much value in working on sets in other roles. And like I worked as a grip in electric for a little while. And then I worked as a loader and a camera assistant. And um, I also worked at a camera rental house. And I just there's a lot that can be learned on set by doing the jobs. And then, you know, as DP, how long it will take to set up that light, you know, or like, you know, um, anything specific with camera. So I would encourage you, even if you're shooting, try and get on sets and other capacities and just really observe and ask questions and, you know, think to yourself, huh, if I was doing this, how would I light it? You know, um, and stuff like that. So just, I would encourage, I would encourage that. Uh, and I, I, I think to, to follow that, I think what can come around with that too, if, if you're a, a young filmmaker and doing anything you can and getting your hands involved in, in the things that interest you, is that the people that you meet in those projects and whether it's like the thing you really wanted to do or who knows, but those individuals, you start to meet people that you're like, I really would like to make things with that person. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's, you really, and, and you start to try to hold on to them. And they may resurface in your life, like like this this project for me. Many years later, you never really know. But so, I would say just really pe- look for community that you really love, and hold on. Yeah, I agree with both of those things. That that's absolutely a great great path to take. I think that in terms of uh, making a career as a DP, it feels like there's a certain amount of luck that you need with a film that does well, and it often has nothing to do with your work on it, uh, sadly. So there's some value to being selective, I would say, and recognizing that there's an opportunity cost when you take a film just to just to shoot something. So if you haven't shot a feature yet, shooting a feature just because it is doesn't necessarily make it worthwhile because it's several months of your life. You mm-hmm. have to give your like heart and soul to it to make it good on your end. And if the film isn't going to be good, if you don't believe in the script or if you don't believe in the director, it's it's not going to go anywhere. And then your career won't have any uh, positive effect as a result. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with all three of these people. But yeah, no, choosing choosing uh, the right script is, is definitely... Yeah, like one of the early movies like the things that first started to get um seen of things that i made didn't look good it wasn't like what well, you know it wasn't because of you know the cinematography people don't go oh you got to go see the cinematography of this little <laughs> indie uh, <laughs> typically but no it was because it was a great story and i think um going after good stories and good storytellers and and i watching a lot of things and reading a lot of things so that you can hopefully develop a sense of of like what resonates with you but then yeah gravitating towards that because you kill yourself for a movie and you don't want to kill yourself for a bad one yeah and, and steal ideas from people that's also oh yeah that would be kind of like what you're saying <laughs> how and then i would say if you do find yourself on a project that you thought maybe it would be good and it turns out to be bad or you're not really happy with that there's always something that you can try and like latch on to about it maybe you can experiment with something or maybe there's one relationship on set that you can that you can make you know so always just like even if like you're not happy on a project for whatever reason or some sort of are we allowed to curse yeah or it's some sort of oh, shit yeah. show like just find something you know that makes it educational that makes you like grow somehow mm-hmm. and i think that that's helpful nice okay so let's quickly go around say your name your movie again and where people can follow you if you're on social media okay yeah i'm nate Hertzellers. uh my movie is theater camp and my Instagram is Nate Hertzellers. That's it. 
Nice. Okay. <laughs> Easy, straightforward. Yeah. Uh, Dan Adlerstein, Onyx, uh, The Fortuitous, and The Talisman of Souls. And my Instagram is dadlerstein. Or some people say dadlerstein. Dadlerstein. <laughs> Even when though you, I'm not a dad. Yeah. When you when you said your name, it sounded like you were continuing your name for your official title. And it's like <laughs> The Talisman of Souls. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Scott, I have to say, if if this career falls through, you should be an audiobook recorder. Oh, thank you. Thank you, you have the best voice. Put me in, please. Okay, okay. He also okay. looks... Great. Yes, <laughs> on camera. I just like uh, this is this, this is a beautiful the, round this table. Yes. This, is this is a very delightful round table. What an artist! But, you know, <laughs> I am facing the light. Let me say, yes. 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 the lighting is the great, cracks. which we know uh, is important. Well done, Gigi. Thank <laughs> but you. That's the most important thing. Yes. Um. So yeah, where can people find your work? Uh, my name is Scott Miller. I shot uh, Little Prayer. It's premiering this week, and I'm at Instagram Scott Miller Dop. Uh, Zach Cooperstein I uh, shot Power Signal which is here and you can follow me on Instagram at Zach Cooperstein I also shot Barbarian which I've been posting a lot recently about the process of and you can check that out we're gonna we're gonna do a piece about that because it's some good behind the scenes work okay thank you guys so much thank, thank you. you thank you Thank you, Zach, Scott, Dan, and Nate for joining us for this roundtable. Thank you to our listeners. I loved seeing how these folks had advice that was about connecting with the people you work with on every project and connecting with the project itself. Their love for their work shines through and their care and respect for each other also does. It turns out Nate and Zach had worked on a job years ago, so you never know when your paths are going to cross again. We're giving you the 360 experience with our Sundance coverage. Stay tuned for a second cinematographer roundtable from the festival featuring DP Laura Valadeo of the film Fremont and DP Loretta Prevost, a camera operator on It's Only Life After All, the Indigo Girls documentary. We are also publishing a post-production roundtable with John Philpot, the editor of Theater Camp, you just heard about from the DP Nate, and Mike James Gallagher and Anthony Vanchuri part of the sound team for Onyx, The Fortuitous, and The Talisman of Souls, aka Dan's Film. Thank you for listening, and you can like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also find us on the web at nofilmschool.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, across social medias at nofilmschool, and send your questions to editor at nofilmschool.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.